Close Horse is brought to you with support from the following sustainable brands. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Picnic wear, a slow fashion brand made by hand in New York City from vintage and dead stock textiles. Picnic wear strives for minimal waste, but maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Find Picnic wear on Instagram at Picnic wear, and that's wear, W-E-A-R, and at www.picnicwear.com. No flight back vintage, bringing fun new life to old things always using recycled and secondhand materials to make dope-ass shit for dope-ass people. See more on Instagram at NoFlightBackVintage. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room. All while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer. But Gabriella is also a radical feminist micro-business. She's the one-woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the earth needs. The one-woman band to help you build your own brand. She can take your fashion line from just a concept and do your sketches, pattern making, grading, sourcing, cutting, and sewing. The second option is for those who aren't trying to start a business and who just want ethical garments. Gabriella Antonis will create custom made-to-measure garments just for you. Her goal is to help help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. And that's Gabriella with one L. Gotta get that spelling right. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpagelifeandstyle. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Karen Kinney Studio. Located in western Massachusetts, Karen specializes in handcrafted earrings from found, upcycled, and repurposed fabrics, as well as other eco-friendly curios. 
all with a hint of nostalgia, a dollop of whimsy, a dash of color, and 100% fun. Karen is an artist slash designer who believes the materials we use matter. See more on Instagram at Karen Kinney Studio or online at www.cKinney.com. Gentle Vibes Vintage. We are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vibes Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage, creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. Browse our online store at thumbprintdetroit.com and find us on Instagram at thumbprintdetroit. Blank Cass, or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles. By embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. Blank Cass lives on Instagram at blank underscore Cass, and a website will be launched soon at blankcass.com. Located in Whistler, Canada, Velvet Underground is a velvet jungle full of vintage and secondhand clothing, plants, a vegan cafe, and lots of rad products from other small sustainable businesses. Our mission is to create a brand and community dedicated to promoting self-expression, as well as educating and inspiring a more sustainable and conscious lifestyle, both for the people and the planet. Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. For the month of September, St. Evans is supporting the Lower East Side Girls Club, which connects young women and gender expansive youth of color throughout New York City to healthy and successful futures through free, innovative year-round programming and mentoring. New Vintage is released every Thursday at wearsaintevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at where underscore st. Dot evens. That's where St. Evans. Country Feedback is a mom and pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family-friendly record shop in the country. Republica Unicornia Yarns. Handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed. Made with love 
and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand-dyed yarns, and thoughtfully made notions. Slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at Republica underscore Unicornia underscore yarns and at www.republicaunicornia.com. Welcome to Close Horse, the podcast that dreams of a world that's free of single-use t-shirts or even two-times-used t-shirts. <laughs> Just no more dumb t-shirts. I'm your host, Amanda, and this is episode 99, the final installment of my series with the Orr Foundation. And today, I'll be talking to two members of the Orr Foundation team in Ghana, Chloe and Sammy. I'm so excited for you to meet them because they have so many important things to share that you really, really must hear. Chloe is a designer, researcher, community organizer, and the program manager of Ghana Operations for the Orr Foundation. And Sammy is also a fashion designer. And I think that's really interesting. I mean, we're going to talk about it. He's also a project manager for the Orr Foundation. And if you've watched the CBS Morning segment that I linked in last week's show notes, you've already seen him in action. And if you missed it, you didn't watch that yet, please, please go check out that segment because it's really important to see what it's really like in Contamanto and Accra. I will link it in the show notes again. It's, uh, I guarantee what you're picturing still isn't quite as bad as the reality. (laughs) Wow, that, I know that really got you excited about watching it, right? Please go watch it though. There's a moment where the reporter is talking on the beach and clothes are just integrated, like layered into the sand. And it's, it's chilling. It's infuriating. It's horrific because we don't think of beaches that way. Beaches are luxurious. Like if you have a house on a beach, you must be rich, right? We think of beaches as romantic places, places where you have a bonfire with friends, a place where you have a picnic or get some sun, read a magazine. You just generally have a good time. People think of beaches as a vacation destination. I wonder if we stopped being able to export all of our unwanted clothing to other countries, Would our beaches become overrun with clothing too? Or would we start to see it happen and then realize that we had to change things pretty fast? Would we hold on to our clothes longer? Would single-use Office 5K and bachelorette party t-shirts go the way of the dinosaurs? Would we re-wear our Halloween costumes? Would we be clamoring for Congress to pass laws regarding fast fashion, making companies responsible for their waste? If it were no longer out of sight and therefore out of mind, would things be different? 
go watch that video. See it for yourself. Fashion is filled with dirty secrets. I mean, that's what we talk about here, right? There are the toxic work environments, the culture of racism, classism, ageism, and anti-fat bias that just permeate the marketing and product strategy of the industry. I mean, the products themselves are embodiments of all of these toxic ideas, right? There's the constant waste of packaging and paper and fabric. There's the exploitation of the workers who make our clothing, the destruction of waterways and farmland, and so much more that we don't even know about. And this, the final chapter, the delusion of clothing recycling and donation that is actually destroying the environment, the quality of life, and economy of Ghana and other nations of the global south. H&M doesn't want us to see this. Fashion Nova doesn't want us to know this. Shein, Madewell, Forever 21, American Eagle, name a big brand. None of the big fast fashion brands and retailers want us to know the sad truth about the origin and afterlife of the clothing we buy from them. And when you know this stuff, I mean, we're gonna t- I'm going to talk about this with Sammy and Chloe, it gets... It gets hard to even want to put on clothes, you know? And that's an entire exercise in itself. It's something I'm thinking a lot about. How do we still take pleasure in our personal style and expressing ourselves and our creativity via our clothing while knowing all of this? And I think it really begins with changing our relationships with our clothing, buying things we love and feel good about. A lot of the stuff that's out there for us to buy, we don't feel good about, right? Before we jump into my conversation with Chloe and Sammy, I want to talk to you about one more secret of the fashion industry, and that's overproduction, as in making way too much stuff. Yes, we already know that all these brands make too much stuff to the tune of 150 billion, that's with a B, garments every year. That's about 20 garments per person on the planet. And those are brand new garments, right? That would be in addition to all the garments that already exist in the world, which is a lot of garments. Let's think about that. 20 brand new garments per person on this planet. Half of the world's population makes less than 550 per day. That's 550 in US dollars. So they aren't buying 20 garments each year. And plenty of other people all over the world like you are wearing stuff as long as possible and shopping secondhand and making their own clothes, all of the things. Yes, Americans are buying an average of 70 new garments each year, but even that isn't enough to roll out to an average of 20 brand new garments per person on the planet. What I'm saying is that there is no need at all to be manufacturing 150 billion garments each year. And the proof of that is in the disgusting, shocking data pudding. According to the Australian Circular Textile Association, 30% of those 150 billion garments, and don't worry, I know you don't know where your calculator is right now, don't worry, I did, it, I did the math for you. That's 45 billion garments. 
45 billion garments each year are never sold. They're destroyed, burned, sometimes donated. But we know even donation floods the world with a lot of stuff that just becomes someone else's problem. Ultimately, those 45 billion garments are making their way to the incinerator or the landfill pretty, pretty soon, right? You're probably wondering, like, how does this happen? Because, I mean, 45 billion garments, they cost some money. I mean, that's throwing money away, right? On top of all the resources and the work and all that, too. But it's a liability for sure. There are a few ways that this happens. One is buying into the wrong trends and the wrong product. And this is when you're a buyer, this is like on your mind every single day day. Because the fast fashion model relies on selling you, the customer, as much stuff as often as possible. That means they have to be feeding you a steady stream of new stuff to bring you back in. In order to do that, they have to buy into every single trend, no matter how unwearable, short-lived, or ultimately un popular. And this results in a lot of stuff that no one really wants. And to make matters worse, there's an incentive to buy the biggest quantity of each item because costs go down as the units on an order go up. The bigger the order, the cheaper the stuff. So there's a motivation to buy really hard into every single trend. So if it turns out that it was a bad trend or an unpopular idea, the retailer is stuck with even more unsellable stuff. So that's one way that these 45 billion unsold garments are being created. Next is that it's just it's just all coming too fast. That's why they call it fast fashion, right? Now that all of the big retailers and brands are selling you stuff at the lowest prices, we've talked about this in the past, after the 2008 financial crisis, all of these retailers raced their way to the bottom in terms of price. They started bombarding you with deals, deals, deals. And then they were all cheap at the same time, right? Like now we were addicted to being things being inexpensive, so they couldn't raise the prices. And now that everyone was cheap, there was no incentive to shop one particular place, They had to remain competitive by bringing you stuff as fast as possible. So we get this thing where it's like every single trend, no matter how minor, no matter how ill-advised, has to be flowing towards you at all times. It also needs to be coming as fast as possible. So that retailer, in theory, has the trend before anyone else. Although, real talk, everyone's got the same stuff all the time, right? But these retailers want to be the first one to offer you the trend. So this means everything comes faster than ever. Instead of working on products for four to six months before they would arrive in stores, which is how it was in the beginning of my career, now retailers are working on products 90, 60, 30 days before they will arrive in stores. In the last couple years of my career, I would write orders in the same month that they would deliver, which is wild to write something, like to place an order the first week of the month and know that two weeks later, a thousand units were gonna show up at the warehouse. 
that's that's a lot. <laughs> that's not a good situation. This means that there are less fittings, so the fit isn't that great. You know, I say this a lot. We would be in fittings and be like, well, it'll fit someone. We got to move on to the next thing because that's the thing. We don't have time to get this right. It, may, it means less sample reviews, so you might get the sample you know, the pre-production sample, and it's like the wrong color or it's a weird fabric or the zippers are in a strange spot or something is terrible about it. But like, you don't have time to tell them how to change it and get them to make another sample that you can approve before they go into production. You just have to say, hey, can you make these changes and start making it? And you know what happens is a lot of times the order arrives and it's not any better than that sample that you ask them to fix because there's no time to get it right. That fast turnaround means that no one, the designers, the buyers, even the manufacturers, get to fine tune and optimize the final product. So what you end up with is lots of less than great stuff finding its way onto the website and into the store. And guess what? No one wants to buy it. I know I've talked on the pods sometime in the past about a pair of pants that I got from Zara, I don't know, like four years ago, that had a leg opening so small that my foot wouldn't go into it at all. Like three toes fit into that hole and that was it. That product should have never existed. But when you're working that fast, you don't have time to go back and make sure that people's feet can fit through the foothole. I'm sure Zara sent a ton of those tiny foothole pants off to an incinerator or a landfill somewhere on this planet. Another problem that leads to all of this unsold product is the amount of time that companies are allotting, allowing themselves to sell this stuff is shrinking. They need to move all of this stuff in and out as fast as possible to make room for the next round of super trendy product. That's how they get you coming back time and time again by making it feel like it's always a new store, right? In the beginning of my career, we would plan that on average, an item would remain at full price for 10 to 12 weeks. So roughly three months, right? Of course, things that were really popular would be reordered and reordered until the demand fell off, meaning that those things might stay at full price for six months, even years. Like there was this scarf Remember when lightweight scarves were really trendy? It was the late aughts, I guess. I reordered that scarf for more than three years straight at my first buying job, just adding new colors every season. We never put that scarf on sale. But, you know, not everything was a hit like that, right? Less popular items might go on sale after six to seven weeks back then, but that was really rare. And it usually only happened after trying to re-merchandise it in stores, on the website. We would have just tried everything to get people to buy it. We may have changed the price, but not taken it to markdown. If it was an average item that was doing okay, we would probably take it to a slight markdown for the first time it went on sale. So like 10 weeks after we had launched it. And it would be like a 20% off discount, not that much. A month after that, we might discount it to 50% off, and another month or two later, take it to 75% off. Basically, a style, an average style, one that wasn't a bestseller and wasn't a total stinker, might be around for about five months. 
We just weren't in a hurry to get rid of it. We didn't have to be. Wow, things have changed so much over time. In most the most recent years I've been working, things started going on sale in four weeks and going to a deep discount, like 50% off immediately. A month later, we would just pull them off the website and pull them out of the stores and they would be jobbed out, which meant they were either destroyed or sold off to places like TJ Maxx or Ross. As a buyer, I had no visibility into that. I just knew it wasn't pulling in the inventory reports I looked at anymore. So it was sort of not my problem, right? Much like all the other stuff we've talked about with our own personal clothes going somewhere else to become someone else's problem. Another way that all of this excess that no one is gonna buy is being created is delusional sales plans that excite shareholders and, of course, fund executive bonuses. Basically, the higher the sales plan, the more exciting it is for all the stakeholders. And I'm going to tell you some really basic retail math here. The higher the sales plan, the more product the company needs to produce to sell because higher sales require higher inventory. So leadership in these big companies will create super high, most likely totally unachievable sales plans. Buying and design will create enough product to hit those sales plans. And then guess what? When the company misses the sales plan, which they probably will, there's a ton of extra inventory that goes unsold. These big companies can afford to make these big mistakes to just be so inherently reckless and wasteful because no matter what, there's still a steady and massive flow of cash coming their way from customers every day every week to cover that loss. And so our business, that chunk of our wallets that we're giving to them allows them to keep rolling despite all of this terrible behavior. That's the difference between a big retailer and a local boutique or small designer or maker. If someone from our community like Danny of Picnic Wear or Selena Sanders decided to create a sales plan that they knew they would never actually be able to hit, and then they made tons and tons of inventory to meet that sales plan and then missed it, guess what? They would go out of business, but they would never do that because they haven't lost sight of their ethics, their own sense of right and wrong, their sense of responsible versus wasteful, and they just know better, right? That's another reason why I'm just so into supporting small businesses because they behave more responsibly. Even if the people running the small business happen to be a jerk, they still have to behave more responsibly or they will immediately go out of business. Another thing that leads to all of this excess product being created and wasted is that companies view their product as disposable. Now, we know that's not true, but in their view, it's super cheap, so having to destroy it is really no big deal. They don't view it as an important loss, and they have to keep that product from building up in their stores and warehouses because, as I've said, there's always a ton more on the way. It's got to be in and out so fast. And it's so ugly to think about this, to think about them regarding this product as valueless because 
We know that people worked long, grueling days to make this stuff, and they worked under terrible conditions and made very little money in exchange for their skilled work. How can this stuff be disposable when you know everything involved in making it? Imagine that you sat down today, well, it's gonna take you probably more than a day, and you knitted yourself a sweater. And then after you finished it, you threw it in the trash. That's, that's what's happening here. Wild when you think about it that way, right? But brands view this stuff as so disposable, so meaningless, that sometimes they will destroy an entire order. We're talking thousands of units before customers ever see it. I have seen so much of this throughout my career. Maybe they didn't like the way it turned out. Like it was just that bad that they thought it would be a serious affront to any customer who saw it. Or maybe suddenly they're over budget. Like maybe it didn't match the Pantone that the buyer wanted. I mean, I'm gonna tell you, there are times where I was directed to cancel an order even if it was one day late because we needed to cut our budget. And this would be stuff that was already made that we were canceling. And who knows what happened to it? Because in most situations, we had our vendors signing an agreement saying that they wouldn't resell anything that we had developed or had our label in it. So it became trash. For these big brands, it's easier and cheaper to just destroy any of this stuff and write it off and never think about it again than it is to assume the burden of its disposal. Which is a great transition into the next thing I wanna tell you. Have I mentioned that retailers have found a fun and easy way to pass the burden of this subpar unwanted product onto you and me, the customers? Let's go back to that 150 billion garments the industry is making each year. One third of those are selling on sale. That's not a good record. <laughs> to be selling one third of your stuff at, at a discount, oh, and then like roughly another third you're just throwing out, that implies that only one third of all those clothes are sold at full price. It's pretty, pretty wild to think about it. Someone might look at those statistics and say, wow, only 33% of the things I make are desirable. That seems, that seems like a bad record. Maybe I should change my ways, right? But that's not actually what's happening. Retailers will be stuck with the stuff that no one wants, and they will continue to mark things down. Maybe it'll start at $9.99, then $4.99, then go to $1.99, whatever price it takes to get you to buy it and take it off their hands, they are willing to sell it to you. I had a boss who would say, what's the price that makes this item less ugly? Like at what price does something become more attractive? And that's exactly what retailers are doing. They're recouping a couple of bucks from you. And this is the bigger part, saving themselves the burden of disposing of it themselves. Because you know what? Disposing of that stuff, whether they're sending it off to the incinerator or paying to have someone destroy it and then cart it off to landfill, whatever, that costs them a lot of money. 
And yes, I know that we're all addicted to deals and we would never buy something at full price from any of these fast fashion retailers because like literally why would we do that? But retailers are using us as a solution for their unsold inventory. All of the stuff that they know isn't that great, that they didn't even put the effort into trying to make it great. They just were like, it's good enough. Next, next, next. All this stuff that they couldn't sell, that they didn't bother to fit or QA, they mark it down super cheap so that we will take on the burden of the disposal of their mistakes. Essentially, we are paying them, even if it's only $1.99, to take out their trash. Now, you have this thing that you've got. It was a super hot deal. You have to deal with it. You didn't really like it that much, but like it, it was, the price was so low, you just couldn't say no. I mean, listen, I've been there too, right? We all get excited about a deal. It's wired into our brains. There's no one out there who can resist a deal. Show me that person. I want to know more about them. <laughs> you couldn't resist the deal. You brought it home, and now it's your burden. And when your closet is so full that it's overwhelming you, that you're getting anxiety every single time you open the door to pull out a pair of shoes, I know this feeling. I know this feeling so well. You have to figure out what happens to it all whether you bag it all up and throw it in the trash, bag it all up and drop it off for donation, try to rehome it, you know, have a yard sale, whatever. The burden, the work is on you. And meanwhile, the retailer has already moved on like 10 times over. Does it make you mad? Because I'm feeling pretty mad talking about it. So what can we do as a group of people who want better for the world? This is a hard one, right? Sure, we can yell at brands and retailers to stop overproducing, and that could help a little bit, especially if a lot of us did it all at once. But there are two things, I talk about this all the time here on Clothes Horse, that always force companies to change, no matter what, what product they sell, what, what business they're in. There are two things that will force them to change. One is the law. And the other is the fear of losing money or sales or profits or whatever it is. That's what they fear. This means that we need to, one, get the law on our side, right? We need to let our elected representatives know that we want regulations around overproduction and extended producer responsibility, otherwise known as EPR. I talked about it in the last episode. You're all like experts now, which is pretty cool. <laughs> As I talked about in the last episode, EPR policy puts the responsibility of disposal of a product on the retailer or brand, not on us. So it's in their best interest to stop making crappy clothes, to recklessly overproduce, to make things so fast and cheaply that there's no way they will ever fit anyone or make anyone happy for very long. Imagine if you could just bag up all that stuff you've ever bought from Zara or H&M and just take it to them and be like, cool, thanks thanks for the memories, guys. And they couldn't just, you know, send it overseas because that was like against the law. They had to be confronted with the burden of all of the stuff they sold you that wasn't that great. Well, let me tell you, if they have to pay for the disposal to take back the burden of that product, I can assure you that they will want to make better 
things. And they will want to make the right amount of them. They will take their time and do a better job. So that's one way we can make change is by mobilizing around regulations. And I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot and I want to hear from all of you, like, should we start a petition? Should we protest in person? Like, what can we do? Should we break off into little groups and protest at the mall? I don't know, but I'm ready for us to take action on this because it's been, it's been going on for too long. Another thing that we can do is hit them where it hurts and that's in their wallet. Don't impulsively buy items that are a hot deal just because they're cheap. Let brands bear the burden of their shoddy work and overproduction, right? Let them deal with it. And are you feeling pissed off about all this? Like, what do we say around here? Don't give your money to assholes. If you know a brand, a retailer, is participating in this kind of behavior, which at this point they probably are, don't shop with them. Don't give your money to companies who are wasteful, reckless, who don't value their workers, the product they make, or their customers. Because if they did value any of us, they would do a better job. Well, now that I've gotten you all riled up, let's listen to my conversation with Chloe and Sammy. And I'm just going to note here that the audio is a little different because we had to use Zoom to record. And there were some international internet issues. By the time you're hearing it, Dustin has done all kinds of stuff to zhuzh up the sound quality, but I just wanted to call that out. Okay, let's jump right in. All right, so why don't the two of you introduce yourself? Chloe, do you want to go first? Sure, I want to go first. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, so yeah, my name is Chloe Assam. I am the operations and programs manager for the Elf Foundation. My background is in fashion. I have a small petite line. Um, myself and uh, Sammy, we went to the same school. We've been in, in the same circles for years. We're basically friends. Um, but over time, sort of like I snowballed into, like, I think it was a project. And then I came into NOLA's and we we're just talking, right? And I, I was really interested um, in asking a lot of the questions um, regarding, like, how she came into to Kantamantu, like, what really goes on there, right? And so um, I followed up and she was really kind. And she says, I have this project I think you'd be really good, good on. Just come, just talk to us about how life has been for you in terms of as a designer, like how it is, how does this impact you, right? And so from there, um, I wanted to volunteer. Like I wanted to know more. I wanted to do a bit more than I was doing before because when you get, get into fashion school, you have this idea of who and how it is and what you want to do and how you want to be a part of that. But then once you enter and then you see the other side of it, like, whoa, I had no idea um, how this is happening and what can I do as a designer to help out. And so that's how I came to work with the Or Foundation. And it's been an amazing journey so far. I've learned so much that I applied to my process. I'm able to have conversation with others. People even down here do not know because we do not talk about it, right? But the problem is not necessarily us. It's someone else's problem that has, has been dumped on us. And so that's where we need to get um, the information across because people there do not know that the impacts that they, 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 
they have on us who were not in the conversation in the first place. So that's a bit about me and my work with the OR. <laughs> How about you, Sammy? Hi, um, I'm Sammy. Um, Samo, but also Sammy. <laughs> um, I am the project coordinator at the OR. Um, I've been with the OR a little over a year now. And um, I mean, I've always been interested in the topic since like I got into design school, fashion design school. As Chloe was saying, we like we were in school together, and I, like it's just a topic that I've always been interested from like a very designer point of view. I've always been interested in the idea of you know upcycling. Just I think the excitement was not in the beginning me trying to solve problems, but the excitement from just being able to create something fresh and new and something with a higher value from something that has been trashed has always been something that excited me in some way. And I think there was an exhibition that I was involved in, and I think that's how I got to meet Liz. And we started talking, and then, I mean, it was so amazing knowing more about a topic that I was like already interested in. And I felt like they all also meant me being part of like a bigger, you know, frontier that is like pushing this like entire agenda. So for me, yeah, that's where like it basically started. And then with my work with the all, what I basically do is, you know, keeping close relations and contact with um, um, the contact matter community, talking to them, interviews, and then um, various things as such. And outside of that, I'm also um, a fashion designer, which I said before. Um, yeah, on the side. But yeah, that's what I do. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so I think you both bring up a really good point uh, that, I mean, I feel this too. You know, we grow up, we want to get into fashion because we're creative, because we really appreciate style. Um, fashion is so glamorous and it's so creative and it's such an important part of, you know, not just like personal expression, but just like artistic expression as a whole. Mm -hmm. And yet you get into it and then you're like, oh, wow, we're like making too much stuff and it's having this really ugly impact on the planet. How, how does that make you feel now that you know that? <laughs> uh, um, so I, my whole world was really shook, right? It's like my process came to like an immediate Cult. I stopped working. You're so into expressing yourself. You want to add to the whole um, fashion um, expressive community. But then you see that there's so much clothing, so much waste, and so much injustice. How do you reconcile making clothing? And I know it's, it's, it sounds really like, well, you can't stop. You can't stop because these big fashion, fast fashion people are still producing. But I think if they stopped, to think for a second and re to try and reconcile, like, why are we creating so much? Because it's too much clothing for all, for the 7 billion people in the world. It's too much. Mm -hmm. Why are we producing so much? Like who's, who's buying it? Why are you buying it? Right. So yeah. with me, it came to like, um, the, my process came to a, a, a halt and I've been slowly trying to get there. I made a collection last year, which I would have been really proud of. It took me 
eight months to be able to make eight single pieces. And that's not like a full-blown collection. It, it goes to show how much work and love and efforts goes into sourcing, goes into pattern making. It really paints a picture of how clothing is complex and is even an extension of your spirit, right? But the way fashion is, the way the climate is right now, is just flipped. Why are we creating so much? So it's just me on this personal journey to find my my oomph again, my 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 fire again, which I know eventually I'll get to. But it's just working through the process, finding out that there's so much clothing, there's so much exploitation, and it really resonated with me in my heart. Right. So just getting back to that has been really tricky, but I know that eventually I'll get back there. I would make something, maybe a piece, two or three pieces um, for clients. But now I'm not even in the headspace to do that anymore. Yeah, I understand that. What about you, Sammy? Um, for me, I think like I got my first leg, I would say, um, when I was still in school, I think like halfway through fashion design school that was when i watched um true cost and that really that movie really really moved me but what happened was that i couldn't really relate because i thought okay like this is so far away from me right and it's like you know big fashion that is doing all of these things so at that point all i said to myself was that i mean <laughs> when I got into school, what I thought was that I was going to be big fashion too. I was going to head big fashion too, because that was the dream. And I was like, okay, after watching that movie, I would not want to be big fashion and then put three people this way. And that was like the idea from there. But when I got involved in the aura and I found out how that movie that I watched like several years ago, like with the building collapsing, really connects to to Ghana, to me, to like the Cantonese community, to the climate change or anything, like it really shook me. And like, I mean this by the fact that, I mean, I, after high school, I didn't see myself doing anything else outside fashion. I mean, I wasn't necessarily sure I was going to do fashion design, but I was so sure I was going to work in fashion. Like I was going to do something in the fashion industry. So thinking about it, I was like, why would I be involved? Why, why would I be in a space that I love so much? Because like, I found like peace, you know, designing. I found peace, right. like, you know. I was just I like me expressing myself. Like it was a fun place for me. So just finding out that that place that you find as a haven is like hell. It's like mm. basically like, you know, flaming hell. That was like a shock to me. And I just told myself, I mean, I don't see myself going out of fashion, but I will try as much as I can not to help the problem, not right. to be part of the problem, not to even venture in the problem and then try and help in every way that I can. And I think that's one thing that I, I felt really grateful about the or because somehow I felt in my own little way there was nothing that could be achieved. Like, mm -hmm. there was like, you could do nothing. If, if you know, a clothing company is creating several million tons of, you know, of clothing in a short period. What impact is your, you know, MPs upcycle collection really going to do? So, but I felt like it's really this little things and then even the mere right. thoughts of having that, I don't want to be part of the problem, really starts helping. Because I realized that most people just, as Chloe said, most people just do not know. And in the moment that you know, it starts really to, you know, to like navigate your mind towards like making right choices. And I think for me, that is like really how, what like happened to me. And then 
another thing that really like after this day every time that i see that image like it shakes me a little bit was one time visiting the market and it had rained and there was just you know a little bit of flood coming but it was so much like you know clothing waste and then like shoes and everything and it was moving towards you and then it was basically a wave of like you know waste clothing coming towards you and for me that that really hurts me because i was thinking like I am a, I'm a designer. I make clothes. So the fact that something that I create as an art, something that I create mm. for people to use, something that I create out of love, something I create for someone to love, ends up in such a, a state with no like respect, no. Because if you think about it, clothing is not just it's not just about me, the designer talking. I mean, the whole time I'm saying designer, but if you really think about it, it starts from right where the 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 fibers come from. The fibers, so the exactly. Mm-hmm. But the point where you see all of those things is literally disrespect all the way from the practice or the artistry or the skill or the craftsmanship of the fiber worker all the way to me and then the consumer who's wearing it. It's just like basically disrespecting all the people who have been in line or who have, like, you know, this item of coding has passed through their hands before it got to, like, you know, the final product. And I was like, this just doesn't make sense. Like, imagine, it's almost like, you know, having a baby, I mean, this may be a stream, or having a pet, and then having, you know, going to see several pets or several pets of your kind just being washed off, like waste, nothing that can be done about it. That, that was, like, pretty extreme. And everything, every time that I, I think or even talk about it, like, I get the image and I feel, like, a little bit hurt that, you know, something that you cherish so much, something that, you, you know, you go to school, you study for, you spend like sleepless nights trying to better your, your practice, like, you know, all of these things. And then in the end, it's just nothing. It's just goes to waste. It's just something that is like affecting the world in like all the negative ways. It, 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 was, it was just that moment that like, you know, these moments that really moved me. I mean, I, I yeah, I think about how fashion is supposed to be this art and there's so much craft and skill and talent involved so much work and basically what these what fast fashion has done is strip it of that that beauty that creativity that artfulness and turned it into a commodity that's a liability more than anything else i mean even my friends who work for large corporations as designers they're going to tell you they're not making art over there. And that doesn't mean they're not working hard or trying mm. hardest, but all they're really doing is, you know, fulfilling this list of things they're required to do in order to make more stuff so that a com- company can sell more things. They're not allowed to be creative, to be artists in the way that fashion wa- once was. And so I hate the term fashion now because when I think about fashion, I don't think about the creativity, the beauty, the art of it, I just think of like the waste of it and the capitalism of it all and the, just the mm. corporate structure around making money about taking something that is important to people, which is their personal style and almost like weaponizing it into a thing to make money. And and ultimately it's just, it makes, man, when you were talking earlier, Chloe, about how it's hard for you to even work on creating new clothing, how it has like stripped so much of that like joy for you. 
I just, I just could feel that because the more you learn about what's happening with clothing in the world, the more you think maybe we should all become nudists because it destroys, <laughs> it destroys the simple pleasure of putting on right. a nice outfit and feeling good about yourself because you're right. like, oh, but like, oh, like you think about all the people who have sacrificed to get you these clothes and how for so many people they're going to end up like wearing them once or twice and throwing them out. It just like strips all of the beauty of style, right? Of all that creativity. So we've, we've touched on this already, but like most people do not know what is happening to their clothes when they're done with them. And being done with them is a really relative term because what we're finding is that in the global north, at least, a lot of people are only wearing clothes a couple times at most and then yeah. donating them or throwing them out because they think that's that. I want to, you're both in Ghana right now, right? Yes. Right. So you're actually there on the ground. You go to Contamanto. You see this with your real eyes. And I want, I want you to describe it for all of us who can't get on a plane and go there. Because I want to make, my goal with this whole series is to make this as real as possible to mm-hmm. people who are completely unaware of it. So what, what are you seeing when you're there? Okay. 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 Let me... Tommy, let me let me do this. Let us set up like a sort of like a backdrop, right? Okay. Um, Kanta is really complex. In and of enough itself, it's a complex network of people working together, working in unison to be able to repurpose and recycle the I don't know if you, maybe you're gonna edit this out, but the shit that has been dumped <laughs> on us, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just where they're working year in, day in and day out to be able to make something of someone else's waste, right? So let's be honest, it's not charity, it's not, um, it's, it's not goodwill, it's someone else saying, okay, I'm done with this, but I do not want to see it, do something about it, right? Mm-hmm. And so let's set that premise, let's paint that picture in people's minds. So when it comes here, um, it's, it's taken from the Temahaba, um, in, in, in containers is shipped into the market and once it gets there it gets to the importer side and the retailers go there to try and you know buy the stuff and repurpose it um, now one of the people that I want to talk about and I usually focus on are the Kayai women and these are women who migrate from the north to come to Accra in, in search of a better life because things are harder there but that they are met with this really um harsh reality that things are not going to be easy for them um sami will speak more on um interacting with the actual retailers tailors and people who mend the clothing he can speak more to it but i can speak more on to um uh, about the kaya situation these are and i always tell sami and i always talking to people about it's an essential role really because of how cantamanto is is constructed it is not a space where you can easily navigate with vehicles. So for you to be able to get even one item, like one bill from the importer side, which is outside, a bit outside of where the actual um, work is done, you have to sort of like take on these girls to be able to carry them and then bring them to the retail side to be able to, to work on. So if they were not in the market, there is no way that piece gets into the, the the production side to be able to repurpose. Now, um, the bales can weigh 
almost two times their weight. For example, I'm a, I'm a 63 kg, right? They can carry a load as heavy as me and even more. And this is literal back breaking like work and they earn very little. So my, the point I'm, the picture I'm trying to paint here and the point I'm trying to make here is that these are really essential roles, but then looking at how um, um, consumerism and looking at how the whole economic um, system is built, power and money is not evenly distributed. So by the time the girls carry it and by the time they get there, it's very, it's, it's change that the retailers are making out of it. And so with that change, they're able to pay only little for these women, right? They earn maybe like one to $2 per trip and they can go five, six times before they're even able to make enough to buy food, much less even save to be able to accompany themselves out of whatever constraints or whatever is ailing and that drove them from um, the North to Accra. So I just wanted to share that with your audience that it's, it's not as simple as donating your clothes. It's not as simple as, oh, I'm done with this piece, but I want to help people. So let me just go give it to, um, let me just give it in, into donations. What happens is that piece is resold to importers or exporters. It comes here. It is not cheap. The quality is not the best. People are literally going into debt to be able to try and save and repurpose these pieces. And in the end, when you look at the hierarchy of, of stuff, the Kaye is here, everyone else is above. And it really paints a picture of how the world is. It's like, we are down here, everyone else is down here, and the global north is up there, and they decide who gets what, what goes where, and it really creates this, um, this imbalance of power and voice and autonomy and being able to get yourself even out of certain situations. It's like everything is controlled and it has a ripple effect, whether you like it or not, onto you, your livelihoods, your mental um, health, your um, ability to be able to take care of your kids because a lot of the people in Kantamanto, there is one clothing standing between what they're able to make to be able to feed their families, right? It's really emotional what I'm always talking about. And I try to be as um, neutral as possible, but it's, it's impossible when you're on the ground and you're seeing so much injustice and so much discrimination and how someone is slaving their life to be able to turn someone's, uh, someone else's waste. Mind you, she was not there when you're making that um, decision to buy that clothing. She was not there with you. You didn't ask her, but you've been able to, for some reason, able to dump that responsibility on him, on her, to take care of your clothing, right? Yeah. So that's it for me. Sami can take the rest. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Chloe. Um, so as Chloe was saying, like, you know, the clothing comes in from the harbor to the important side where Kai girls and Kai women have to do all the transportation. And I mean, as big as the market is sometimes going around it or just when move from one point to the other alone can be like a kilometer or more just like you know trying to navigate your way from one point to the other and talking about the bills i mean the idea of the bill itself is like um a business of gamble and that's what the retailers like are constantly saying 
because here is the case like talking to most of these retailers for a very long time the trade has gotten worse over the years like it hasn't gotten better over time it, it just gets worse and talking about it getting worse some of these bills they cost from between seventy dollars to up to five hundred dollars like per bill and you open this bill and then there are certain instances where some of them have had like you know had attacks just because of the type of clothing items that they found in their bills so imagine like you know putting that amount of money that you are barely making into you know like a bill and then opening it and then finding just trash you know clothing that you can sell because the thing is as these clothing have been donated they just don't you know pack them and bring them together they actually sort them out take the good ones to oh no the retail platforms that are very popular thread up and the rest and then everything else that is literally not good enough or is left over is what is shipped here so basically trash for us and what happens is <laughs> what happens is tuesday is like the the importers uh, market day so that's when like you know the retailers go in to to buy their um bills and then they come in and open them on, on wednesdays so these same retailers they are in, ch in charge of sorting and i always marvel at this because i mean if you look at the fashion industry all of these jobs that like these retailers like you know do every day like who are like their aspect in are jobs that you know a single person or an entire department takes care of right. in, in the fashion department and then this is one person doing this every like six days a week from as early as 5 a.m to, to as late as 6 p.m every day so imagine like this same person like you know has to deal with the with the as you were a buyer so basically the retailer is the man <laughs> he goes to the important to do the buying he comes back sorted out like that is sorting he goes around to do merchandising and styling because in order to sell they have to present the clothes in a certain type of way to you know have their clients find them attractive and all so like doing all of these things and in the end like not being able to make any money because everything that was in the bill is half trash. And here's the case like 40% of the amount of stuff, clothing that comes into goes into waste because they're just not sellable. They're either too stained, they're either holes in them or just like too one or too big for anybody to wear. And like moving on from, from this, it's not just the retailers that work in Catamaran. So aside from the retailers, there are you know upcyclers or tailors and instances who work in the market as well so as the retailers are you know sorting out the clothing um they started from the first selection which is like the best um grade usually star reject um um ones with like factory folds or like just like good grade ones those make up like a very little part of the selection so everything else that comes you know from the third selection the fourth selection usually the fourth selection goes to waste and the third selection is what is being sent to, you know, tailors and it's interested to work on. And um, I just wanted to bring this in. Just last week, I was having a conversation with one of the tailors that work in Kathmandu. And then he was telling me, expressing to me how, you know, how sad and upset he gets about, like, about the amount of clothing that they can just work on. Because some of the clothing are so bad, there's literally nothing you can do about it. Like, they will turn it inside out, turn it upside down, you know, trying to find a ways to make something valuable out of it so it doesn't go away and there's nothing that they just they, they can do about it so going back to the retailers these they sell this clothing which they are hoping to sell the same amount to get their capital back 
but it's never so because very little amount of the stuff in the bill is saleable. So they're constantly going into debt. And here's the thing, they're already set in a treadmill. So there's always this tight power dynamics and you can't just opt out. Like it's either you're going home and not having a job, not being able to feed your family, or you know, putting in the risk that you're going to invest your money and hopefully something will come in return. So like it's all of these things and like you know, the fact that like they're not getting any compensation, like nobody, like no reparations, nothing. They're constantly going into debt and then the, the situation is constantly getting worse. Because, I mean, if you speak to some of the retailers, they used to tell me that um, there was a time that they used to buy bills and then like literally they didn't know which ones, like how to price them because they were all good enough. And this mm. was like, you know, 20 years ago. But now they open the bill and then they're, they're always, some of them say prayers before they open the bill. Some of them can't even look when they open the bill. They, like, they, they have to have someone open the bill and have them come look at it. Because there's just too much, you know, too much stress into the idea of knowing that you just took, like, money you, you, you literally don't have into buying something that is just trash, like a bag of trash being sent to you. And here's the case, like most of these retailers also go get um, loans from the banks. And then some of these banks have interest up to 35%. So in the end, if you're not making, you know, you're not even making the money you've invested, how much are you going to make to feed yourself? How much are you going to make to feed your family? How much are you going to make to pay back all of these like loans that you're taking from the bank? And this is one thing on the side. And then talking about the 40% that goes to waste, most of this just end up on the micro floor. And I was, I was, I was sharing area. Like, it's just like all over the, the floor that when it rains, you just see like a flood or a wave of clothes just like moving towards you. So there are waste pickers who also work in and around Cantamanto. And at the end of the day, all of this waste that, you know, end up not being sold is being moved to um, dump sites most of them very close to the market area. And one of them places Ofadama, which is actually a community which most of the Kaye girls and women actually um, um, uh, live. And mm -hmm. the sad part is, like, the fact that this waste is going into that area, that downside that has this community, often, like, times, the, the, the idea of the waste and then the waste being, like, being um, compounded there is being used like as a way or weaponized as a way to like franchise them or demolish their buildings. Just about two weeks ago, they mm -hmm. have been like, you know, like an exercise ball, like, like a whole line. Yeah, yeah, an exercise like that where they just demolish their buildings, like, you know, trying to basically drive away the community with the idea that they are the ones who are, you know, um, habiting or creating this waste. But if you think about it, people like a people of about, you know, 80,000 or so is, is there's no way they're going to create the amount of waste that's clothing waste that you find on those damn sites. But it's just sad thinking about it that from that one item that, that you know, someone sent from the global, or that truck that was sent here, it does not just affect, you know, like the retailer, it affects the Kayu girl, it affects the Kayu girl's family, it affects the Kayu girl's community, it affects the Kayu girl's um, place of living, it affects the retailer, it affects the retailer's family, it affects like tailors who work in it. So if you think about it, is this like, you know, a problem that keeps on probleming? If you think about it, one time I was just, I, I was just sitting down, like trying to think, you know, like all the many ways that this goes to affect people. And then like, it, it literally never ends. Cause 
talking about leaving this as a material you know this is us talking about just like the, mostly the material side of it like if you think about how like this in the end like you know has is a way of affecting you know political issues affecting economy affecting health it's, it's just too much um i think in in april also um Corey, when was um the fish the fish incident the fish um um, um i think it was, april, was right? it was in april yeah april may i think yeah. Yeah, uh, so in uh, april may like just randomly like there were just like dead fishes you know being washed being washed into like the beaches of a car and then i mean talking to fishermen and all of these things like they're constantly finding crude waste in, in in the sea and then around the beaches like i mean if you've if you've been following on instagram definitely you see a lot of these visuals so if you think about it like it just does not affect people who you know work in the community or live around the community it goes on and on and on and on right. so that's how bad like the situation that's how problematic this whole idea of you know clothing waste really is yeah i mean it's it's extra sad when you consider that not only does the end life of this clothing affect so many people who were no way were ever even involved in right. clothing affects the planet affects animals the beginning process of creating that clothing is also super polluting, super exploitive, super damaging to our environment, to the people making it, to the people living around where this is made, to our waterways, to our oceans, you go on and on and on. You start to realize when you see both ends of that, it takes you back to that, like, why do we even wear clothes anymore? You know, because it's such an ugly story and it's all because, so someone can have something new to wear to a wedding or a t-shirt for a bachelorette party or something for a date. And you start to see we we must undo all of these bad behaviors we have of shop and dispose, shop and dispose. It it it's it's like there's no the good part of that story doesn't exist because most of the time, most of these clothes, no one was that happy wearing them in the first place. So there was right. for a moment where it was worth it. For all, right. right? There's, just, it's just like a total loss. So, um, Sammy, you touched on something that I just want to reiterate again. That by the time these clothes get to Contamanto, this is the stuff that was donated and then rejected by the thrift stores, rejected by places like Thread Up, by other clothing recyclers. Recycling being not the right term there, but all the other companies who <laughs> took their share, who eked out every last dime they could from those donations, right? So by the time it's landing in Contamanto, it is the bottom of the barrel, and yet it's still- It's literally waste. It's literally, literally like- yeah. 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 And it's still 15 million garments a week. After all of that, after it's moved through this funnel of all these different people taking a little bit here and there to make money off of it. So I wanted to ask, what are the things you most commonly see in terms of rejected clothing that you see in Contamato that no one can do anything with? Is there a theme? Are there people use t-shirts? No oh one cares about your bridesmaids. No one cares exactly. about your alma mater. No one. It's, it's, I cannot connect with it, right? And Indians cannot connect with it. I didn't go to your school. I don't know your cousin. I don't know about birthday. <laughs> it has nothing to do with me. So how do I connect with that? And it goes back to what we usually talk about, Sammy, you and I, is we, as Africans, we, clothing are extensions of our heritage, especially yeah. our traditional attires, right? But for some reason, 
fast fashion has been able to get in there and break that apart. And young people are looking at clothing as disposable. They're not connecting with clothing as a second skin. Fast fashion, the monster it is, has been able to seep into our culture of making garments, you know, and valuing the things that we make with our hands, valuing the things that we wear, because we're usually in communities. We go see our aunties in that garment. My auntie gave me that, that scarf. Like that has been so corrupted, Amanda, that it's, it's, it's um, sort of like taking away from the value that we attach to clothing as, as Ghanaians the value in terms of connection and money-wise, because if I'm selling my piece 500 Ghana CDs, maybe 90 USD, the customer is thinking, mm, but I can get it from Kantamanto for 50 CDs, that's 10 CD. I can get it from, I can get it shipped from that fast fashion site. And by the time it gets here, it will not be up to the 500 Ghana CDs. So why am I buying your shit? Right. And it's so dangerous. We're so we're gradually moving away from the connections we have with clothing, the value we have with clothing. And I'm just sometimes I'm just done. I'm like, uh, I can't. Um, so I will leave it with Tisami to, you know, expand and tell you a bit more. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Like if you think of things that you see is definitely t-shirts. Like it's just like too much. I mean, the, you know, and, and I just find it very funny sometimes when you find this T-shirt that has like you know, um, it's like a school T-shirt or like a party T-shirt, and it has like you know, like names of all white people in the back. I just find it like very very funny. Like, <laughs> like for me, that's I, I'm always find it very funny. Class like, of twenty fifteen. <laughs> I find it funny too. I don't understand why these exist, and it's like. To think about how many you're seeing in Contamanto, I have to tell you, if you go into a thrift store here, there are aisles and aisles of these dumb t-shirts that even here mean nothing to us. You know, I don't want to wear someone else's high school t-shirt either. Why would I? I don't even want to wear my own high school t-shirt. I don't, <laughs> don't understand it. I mean, I don't understand. I understand why they exist. And I'll tell you, it's because making t-shirts like that is highly profitable. Um, people who make those t-shirts in the first place, they're not being paid. The amount of water and destruction to waterways that happens as these to make these t-shirts makes it even more depressing. But ultimately, right. a lot of the fast fashion brands and companies that aren't even selling in the clothing fashion industry who just sell like marketing merchandise and stuff like that, right they have found that t-shirts are super profitable. And in my career as a buyer, I have noticed with every passing year, more and more t-shirt brands popping up, brands who don't make t-shirts in the first place now added t-shirts to their line. Like mm. I don't even want to wear a t-shirt that says a brand name on it. Like that's just not appealing to me, but every mm. brand, no matter what it is, thinks that their customer wants that t-shirt. Right. So they're making them and guess what's happening they're being wasted. Like no one, but some of these brands, I'm like, I get like, like people want to wear t-shirts that say like Gucci or Chanel or something, but like people don't want to wear t-shirts that say Levi's or other brands that just aren't <laughs> known for that. And yet everybody's like, no, no, they do. We're going to make them. So what happens is they sell on sale for like five or $10 and right. buy them. And to them, they're no. like super disposable, you know? And so it just like perpetuates dumb t-shirts. <laughs> Absolutely. 
also one thing, and I think over the years, because I mean, the first time that I think I visited Continental was about, um, let's say, 10 years ago. And definitely at that time, I didn't know much of the things that I know now. And I quite remember me and my friends, we loved going there because, I mean, we, we used to call it like, you know, treasure hunting or gem hunting, where you could find like really, really vintage, you know, very high quality. Like, I remember one thing that I used to like collect, like at a point, and I used to tell to my friends, was um, like the Levi's 501s. Mm-hmm. Like I used to play them. You could find like original ones that like was all cotton, like you know, like um, polyfibers in there. But now mm-hmm. you go to the market and you can find like you can literally count the amount of like you know natural fiber stuff that you can find there. Everything that you're seeing now is mostly yes. like, yeah. you know, yeah, poly stuff. Oh, yes. Like mostly yeah. like you know polyesters and stuff like that. And then those those ones has like the most adverse effects. So. Aside, like, you know, the t-shirts that you're constantly seeing, oh, Lord, those t-shirts. And, like, the next thing that you see the most is just, like, all poly stuff, like, from dresses to blouses to shirts to pants, like, a lot of poly stuff. But one thing that, from the beginning, even before I got to the or I always thought it was very stupid, was the idea of, like, you know, sending, like, leather, fair-lined oh. leather, Winter coast to 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 Ghana to Accra. Uh, really? <laughs> like I have several images. Like every time before, I used to me and my my mom, me and my mom, like even before I moved to Accra, when this is time, she used to say something about food you made Like she always said, like like whoever said whichever white person sent this to like Ghana is very stupid. Like nobody's ever ever gonna wear get that coat to wear like a fair line leather coat right <laughs> nobody's gonna wear that's, that that's ridiculous. So you, that's ridiculous yeah so if you think you know, sometimes if you go to the market and the kind of things that you see there i'm just thinking like who like who's going to use this like who, like where are you taking this to like even you like nobody's going to wear this you can't make anything out of this you can't wear this in any way you can't even find like you know humor in this there are some things that you you can see it that will give you like two seconds of laughter. At least that is worth it. Some of them just upset you. Yeah. The moment you see it, you just get angry. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's I mean that to me shows that no one is thinking strategically or thoughtfully at all about exactly. what they're sending it's you. It's not from. about us. It's yeah. not about us, Amanda. Just about, We're just oh, getting the stuff out yeah. of the way. Yeah. I remember um one time I was having a conversation with one of the retailers and then you know, I was having a conversation asking her about, like, you know, how she feels about donations and then all the people sending, donating this stuff and sending this stuff in from the global north. And she was like, the idea of donation is not new to her. And then in her church, every now and then they do donations. But then what donation, she has always understood donation right from childhood was that if you want to donate something, you pick something that is usable, something you also like, not something that you don't want anymore, something that you like, you wash it iron it, fold it, pack it, and send it to the pack person. It. Yeah. Yeah. And then she was like, and then she was wondering why if it was this was real donation, why that couldn't be done. Why they just couldn't wash the clothes. Why they couldn't, you know, put good clothes that somebody else could use or they themselves could use. And then it really made sense to me how like, you know, as people say, people just do not know. And then they're really detached from the idea of of, you know, of giving or being kind. Because if you're going to donate and you're going to send like, you know, 
a piece of dress that has like several holes in them and several like even blood stains in them that is disrespect yeah that is just disrespect so if you if you think about it like like even the idea of it being donation does not sound right right from the beginning because if you pick something that you don't like and then you think oh there's some you know um poor kid you know naked kid in in africa so you might need like my 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 dress that is stained with all the blood and everything like you can use it that is just insult yeah it's just insult i mean here in the united states at least when you when you envision people donating or you actually see donations taking place at bins and at uh thrift stores everything comes in in a trash bag that it is it is trash to the people who are eating it and they're using what you said like and i've always thought of it the fact that you know there are trash cans or trash bins or trash you know whatever out there where people throw stuff in that alone like this like undermines the entire idea of it being donation because if you're going to put then outside for somebody to go and put throw stuff in not put stuff in throw stuff in (laughs) it's literally trash moment like the mindset is trash like it's a trash mindset right from the beginning to the end so right totally totally i mean here in the early days of the pandemic people were like i'm bored i'm gonna clean out my house you know i'm gonna empty my closet and so they were throwing it all in trash bags and just throwing it outside the bins and the thrift stores because they were overflowing and they were sitting in the rain and the snow and now there was 100 trash not even just like maybe trash and I, was thinking, I I talked to a friend recently who works um, in in food banks you know, where people donate food, and it's a similar problem where people will just donate food that they don't like, that they bought by mistake, that they cleaned out of their cabinet that they themselves won't eat, but they're like, oh, someone else will, and it's the same idea. Like I. I think people have forgotten what donation means. It doesn't mean unburdening yourself with stuff. It doesn't mean cleaning out your house. It doesn't mean trash. It means things that are useful and good for another person. It's supposed to be this really thoughtful, kind act. And we treat it the same as we do trash pickup. It's really depressing. And I think it also, I mean, it stems from a lot of classism where people assume poor people are glad to have anything they can get, even if it's covered with blood, even if they live somewhere where it's not cold enough to wear a coat. I mean, the fact that coats are coming to Ghana makes me so angry because I know (laughs) there are people in the global north who cannot afford a winter coat. A winter coat is very expensive. And so it once again just speaks to the thoughtlessness of this whole process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, what a monster. Someone else is basically forcing these things down your throat. Everything that comes down is sold. The trash is sold. People are going into debt for it. Deeper and deeper into debt. But you really do not know what you're getting. No one really knows what's happening. Everything is just hush-hush. The important cannot reveal their sources to the retailer. The retailer does not even know exactly where the, the shipment is coming from. They just label that this is from the U.S., this is from me. No one knows exactly where it's coming from. And that speaks to a lot of things. Colonialism, for once, you don't get a say. You just get what I, get, I give you, basically. Mm-hmm. Right? And we really are tired. Young people here are tired of I don't want really people to know. After donating that clothing item, can't sustain your wardrobe a little bit longer. 
Can't you try and fix it if the hole, there are holes in your, in your garments? Learn something, learn craft. You have YouTube, you have internet access. Try and form um, connections with your clothing again. Try building relationships so that it's, it's, it's much harder for you to give it away. And also if you're giving it away, it's out of love. And so that, that process shifts a bit, mm-hmm. right? But people are just giving and giving 50 million pieces every week and we're only 30 million people. 15 million pieces and almost half of that ends up in, in, in landfills. And mind you, was it in 2019? The landfill caught fire. So now it's, it's being dumped illegally. We do not have an infrastructure to be able to recycle the textile waste. It ends up on the ocean floor. It ends up being burned out in the open. Um, it ends up on the, the women who carry the backyards. It's literally sitting, a mountain of clothing waste just sitting there. Yeah. And they're being blamed for it. I just want people to ask more questions, you know, just be a bit more. And I, I understand, Amanda, people really do not know. People are not talking about it. We're not hitting mainstream. People don't want people to know because it cuts into someone else's millions. Billions. Power. Billions. <laughs> Billions. Let's, let's, let's be honest. This illusion of donation and it going to someone else being this good thing it allows people to buy lots of clothing and unburden themselves from the responsibility of owning those clothes because they think like, oh, I don't have to look at it anymore. And there's this fantasy that somewhere, someone's wearing your dumb high school t-shirt and that skirt from H&M and it's a happy ending. And we know that that's, that's not true. But all of these huge fast fashion retailers depend on us all believing that illusion in order to keep buying stuff. And so the more people know, theoretically, I hope, I want to make the decency of human beings, the less clothes we're gonna buy from these companies, right? One thing that I would like to say is, you know, just being conscious and having connections with your clothing. That is like the ultimate, it really starts from there for me, because for me and then, you know, most people that I know, that is really where I started from. The point where you start to see your clothing more than a commodity. This point where you start to build like a connection with the clothing that you're wearing. That is where it truly starts from. Because if you're thinking and you're conscious of what you're wearing, definitely you'll be conscious when you have to pass it on to somebody else. Definitely you'll be conscious when you want to purchase, make a new purchase. Definitely you'll be conscious, you know, what kind of garments you get into your wardrobe, what type of like you know, fiber it is, what type of diet it is. And it really starts from there. I mean, it starts from being conscious. The next thing you know, you're reading about fibers. The next thing you know, you're reading about mm. which brands to shop every month. It really starts from there. And the thing is, I think there's a lot of like systematic, you know, issues from the top that like if you really think about it, none of us like sitting here, if there's not a systematic change, none of us sitting here can really, really make that like momentum change that you're looking for. But it really starts from us all being conscious about, you know, like the type of clothing that we buy, you know, how we relate to our clothing. And I think that is like really the problem with the global north. And it, it always like, you know, scares me a bit because I feel like it's something that is shifting to, to, to Ghana and then to like, you know, the global south as well. And what I mean by this is um, one of the retailers that I spoke to, like she made this assumption that um, white people do not wear clothes for more than two weeks. <laughs> the maximum. <laughs> and I mean, she All only right. knew this analogy. Yeah. She, only, she knew this analogy because she just couldn't understand that 
how can there be so many clothes? If you're wearing clothes for more than two weeks, definitely it would it would stay with you a bit longer because you only have to be using clothes for more than like two for less than two weeks for you to be able to spend fifteen million every week. So it only makes sense from this uh, from her analogy. But you know, just thinking about it, like the idea that the global north does not see. Sometimes you see these ads, like you know, on on social media, and like you know, like the dress you need for the summer, like the dress you need for this year, or you know, like this you're missing out. Like giving you this idea that like you know, all of these things brings you like peace or happiness or joy but it really doesn't because if you're thinking about something that brings you joy that that's just like all of these evil in the line how is that joy how is that bringing anybody joy and like the sad part is like i feel like slowly it's really shifting like into like like the Ghanaian youth culture as well the Ghanaian growing like generation as well that people are beginning to have be less conscious about putting because growing, this, this shirt that I'm wearing, I've had it since I was um, uh, first year in high school. And I still wear it. I don't, before I used to wear it out, I don't wear it out anymore. Now I wear it just at home, you know, just when I'm in the house. But here's the case, like, the growing generation is getting more used to or sensitized to the idea that, you know, you can just buy a piece of clothing and then throw them away. And then you, are, you have this very, very um, neocolonized media system where everything that is being fair to us is like basically all of these big fashion and everything that are big people that are controlling it. So if you're having like, you know, somebody in high school at this moment, you know, constantly going on social media and seeing influencers, celebrities, like, you know, ads mm-hmm. of people who are constantly wearing clothing and then telling you that this is out and this is in, you like with time, you also have very little consciousness with clothing. And then the moment you buy it, you want to, you want to buy the next one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And growing up, people actually took the pride, took a lot of pride in knowing that they're able to pass down their clothing to like younger siblings. Right. Like, like it was, I, I, I didn't really have like big brothers, but I could wear. I've always been eccentric, so I could wear like my sister's glasses, and then I always found like a lot of joy knowing that this is something that, like you know, I didn't buy. It's something that has been handed down with all of that value or all of that, like you know. All of that sentiment, and I feel people are just like really losing out of that on on that now. And I always say, the moment like you know, people from the global south, people from Ghana, people from Africa, like lose touch with this consciousness, you know, this culture that's built around clothing, like the world is doomed. Because as a stands, the global north is doomed. So if if you if the global south should start having this like mindset towards clothing, where would we be? It would just be like a ball of trash that we all live in. So for me, like all that I would say is just like you know, just be more conscious. You don't have to understand this right. whole topic or this whole thing in one day, but just be conscious. Just like pay a little bit more attention. If you have time to find out where your clothing is coming from, things like. And for now, we have the internet. Things are so easy to you know access. Just find out. Just be more conscious of where your clothing is going. Just be more conscious of where what you're doing with your clothing. And then if you have a piece of clothing where you feel like you can't, you you don't want to use it anymore. Ask yourself, is it worth giving to someone? Would you give it to a loved one? And if you can use it, what else can you use it for in your own home? You don't have to send it to us to be a trash. Why don't you make it your own trash? You don't have to make it our trash. You know, <laughs> yeah. make it your own trash. You can turn it yeah. into a rug. You can use it for, you know, macrame, whatever you want. Just find useful for it or just keep it there in your backyard. Don't, don't, you know, not down here. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I totally agree. I use a lot of my old clothes for like if I have something that is not repairable, I usually use them to make 
party decorations or like holiday decorations or like other craft projects. And I think a challenge I would love to see more people take on in Global North is like all the clothes that you don't want anymore, you find another purpose for them in your life that has nothing to do with the trash bin and nothing to do with donation. I think that having to really truly feel that burden of all these clothes can be a game changer for a lot of people who otherwise everything is out of sight, out of mind. Even if you live here where I live and you throw your clothes in the trash, it goes to landfill. I don't even know where the landfill is near where I live. I think I passed it once in a car. Most of it's so out of sight and out of mind in the United States that unless you live across the road from the landfill, you don't even know where stuff's ending up. We're so distanced from Mm -hmm. the burden of our stuff. And it makes me really angry and it makes me sad. And it make, and then I go back to being angry because I think about how, like, as, as Sammy was talking about, you see people on Instagram or ads on Instagram. They're like, you need this thing. You need to wear something new every time you're on Instagram. You, you see people buying huge hauls of clothing and making videos of it. And though it romanticizes the idea of having a lot of stuff. But the reality is that stuff is a burden and we should have to shoulder that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Huh. <laughs> well, it was so nice to talk to the two of you today. I'm really glad you took the time. It was so great to meet you both too. Wow, yeah. It's so nice talking to you. I could talk to you all day. It was so nice. I hope that someday we get to meet in person. I would love that so much. so too. I just want to thank Chloe and Sammy again. I'm so grateful that they took the time to talk to me. And honestly, I'm grateful for the entire Or Foundation for sharing their stories, their knowledge, and their time with me. It was so great to get to know Sammy and Chloe and Liz. You know, when I first learned about everything going on in Contamanto, it was, I don't know, it was a game changer for me, like a call to action, a time to double down on my work on Clothes Horse. And every time I felt burned out or frustrated, nearly defeated by internet trolls, it's come close a few times. I remember Contamanto and I realize that I have to keep fighting the fight against an industry that seems fun and glamorous until you pull back the curtain and see the exploitation and the bad vibes and the ill intent and the destruction that it's at its core. And that sounds really goth. It sounds like a plot line from Lord of the Rings or something. Anyway, please go give Chloe and Sammy and the Or Foundation a follow on Instagram. I'll be linking to everything in the show notes. Like, let's build community here. I know that this series has been disturbing for a lot of you. I also know it's been incredibly eye-opening. And I know it's been full of things you probably felt better off not knowing. But the reality is, none of us is better off not knowing this. My brother and I used to watch a lot of Saturday morning cartoons when we were kids. We would settle in on the couch with, I don't know, a bowl of puffed rice or something. We we were never allowed to have fun cereal. And we would watch hours and hours of television 
every Saturday morning while my mom slept in. We had a deal that sometimes we would have to watch shows together that only one of us liked. And I feel like this was really mature of us because we like to fight about who could sit in the front seat of the car. You know, like this is this was us really being diplomatic with one another, uncharacteristically diplomatic with one another. So like I was into Gem and my brother thought it was super boring, but he would still sit there and watch it with me. And he liked G.I. Joe, which I thought was super boring. At the end of every episode of G.I. Joe, though, they would do a quasi-educational segment for like 60 seconds. Maybe they did this on Gem, too. I'm not really sure. But I know now, thanks to research I did for an episode of Close Horse about Cabbage Patch Kids, that these segments, these educational, in quotes, segments existed because of laws around providing a minimum amount of educational content to children in exchange for exposing them to hours of commercials for candy, toys, and cereal. It's funny, I barely remember any of the cartoons I watched as a kid, but I remember the commercials so clearly, and that means something, right? (laughs) Anyway, these segments on G.I. Joe, these quasi-educational segments, they would always end with this little, like, banner, and I don't know, maybe some singing, and maybe someone said this. I'm not really sure, but it was, knowing is half the battle. And I find myself repeating that phrase constantly as I work on Clothes Horse, mostly just to myself, but sometimes to Dustin or Brenda. And knowing the truth, spreading that knowledge, that's half of the battle we're waging here against fast fashion, against corporate greed, and against greenwashing, waste, worker exploitation, pollution, all of it. Knowing the facts is step one. By now, you know that I have been working in the fashion industry most of my adult life, specifically in the fast fashion area. And I always had this inkling that just grew and grew and grew over the years that something bad was happening there, even if my employers and my coworkers pretended otherwise. When I lost my job at the beginning of the pandemic, I decided I was finally, now that I was separated from it, going to piece together what I already knew and learn everything that I didn't know because I had to put it all together to understand once and for all what was really happening. Let me tell you, I've been on some wild research and reading journeys over the span of the pandemic, and I've learned so much. I've learned some really hard facts. I was sad. I was angry. I was sickened by my participation in this industry that is just so ugly. Real talk, there is a good chance that at some point you bought or wore something that I developed for one of my employers because I worked for some big companies. The emotional burden of being a part of all this bad business, it's it's a lot. But something happened as I learned more and more about all of this and tried to reconcile my feelings and absorb and process all of this unhappy, unpleasant information. I realized that very few people knew anything about the dirty business of clothes and shoes and accessories. And I had the advantage of seeing how the pieces fit together as someone who had worked in the industry for so long. I realized that I had a mission, and that was to share my knowledge, my experience, 
everything I learned, whether it was on the job or in all of my reading, with as many people as possible. That yes, I was bringing a lot of bad news to the forefront, but we have to know the bad news to create good news. I had this hope that if I shared my information with someone, if I shared my knowledge with someone, they would in turn tell someone else who would tell someone else and so on and so on and so on. And soon we would have this critical mass of people who would demand a change in the world, who would take all of that bad news and turn it into good news. If you're feeling overwhelmed, sad, angry about everything we've talked about in this series, tell someone else about it. Knowing is indeed half the battle. Thank you, G.I. Joe. And the more people we can get knowing the truth, the more power we have to make a change. Yes, we can change ourselves and our relationship with the stuff in our lives, but that's just the beginning. Tell your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, even the ones who microwave tuna in the office kitchen or throw salads in the recycling bin. I've had a lot of those coworkers. Imagine if everyone you knew knew the true story of what happens to our clothes when we're done with them. Imagine if everyone you knew and I knew and everyone else knew saw a beach with discarded clothing layered into the sand. Imagine how angry and disgusted they would be. Let's shatter the delusions that fast fashion sells us. Let's do better together. Let's turn bad news into good news. I know we can do it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse. Written, researched, hosted, and edited by me, Amanda Lee McCarty. If you like what you're hearing, you know what I'm going to say. Please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or consider subscribing. I heard that's great for the algorithm. And please tell your friends. That's, that's how we change the world is by informing more people. If you'd like to support my work here on Close Horse, please consider becoming a patron. You can find out more at patreon.com slash podcast. And... If you're looking for another podcast to listen to that's a lot more fun than Clothes Horse, I know that's not hard to be a lot more fun than Clothes Horse, uh, go check out my other podcast, The Department, which I co-host with my friend Kim. We talk about social trends, fashion trends, food trends, internet trends, you name it, and how they connect with history and just the world that we live in. I'll share a link to that in the show notes. Lastly, but never leastly, thank you so much to Dustin Travis White for our music and audio support. Bye.